Hello everyone, welcome back to Legends of Surgery. I'm your host, Tyler Rouse. In previous episodes, we've covered a couple of countries in the East, Japan and India. Today, we're going to go back through the mists of time to look at surgical practice in ancient China. And in a Legends of Surgery first, I believe, we have the first aside in the intro. I refer to these regions as being in the East, but really, as the world is a sphere, sorry flat earthers, there is no absolute East or West. They're only relative to your location. Now, some have argued that lumping an area the size of Asia, which contains roughly 60% of the human population of Earth, is perhaps generalizing a bit. Here's a quote from an article I read about this. Quote, there are several reasons scholars now avoid using phrases like the East and the Orient, including the exoticism they, they convey, their association with modern empires, the skewed view of world geography they present, and their tendency to homogenize large, diverse parts of the world as if they shared a single cultural identity, end quote. And side, side note, the Orient comes from the Latin word oriens, which means the rising sun, the east, part of the sky where the sun rises, and is first used to describe a territory in the 4th century CE by the Romans, referring to the Eastern Roman Empire. The West was called the Occident. Anyways, food for thought. But let's get back to some surgical history and travel all the way back to the Middle Kingdom in this episode of Legends of Surgery. That last line was a little tongue-in-cheek and speaks to the broader point of perspective. The Chinese referred to their own country as the Middle Kingdom, or Zongguo in Mandarin, which translates to central state. The meaning has changed over the years to reflect the central part of what we now call China, as the culturally significant core of the country along the valley of the Yellow River, and later as the region where the emperor lived, as it was believed that the empire was located in the middle of the world. By the 19th century, the name Zongguo was used to refer to the entire country as an attempt at solidarity among the population. Now, while China is one of the oldest countries in the world, we're going to focus on one time period and individual, and you'll see why in a moment. The time is the latter half of the second century CE, and the person is Hua Tuo. Before we get to him, let's paint a picture of surgery in China around this time. Dating back to the Chao Dynasty, which was from 1030 to 722 BCE, four types of medical practitioners were recognized in order of importance. First was the superintendent doctor who treated through diet and supervised the preparation of food and drinks. Next was the physician who treated internal ailments. Then we have the so-called wound doctor who attended to external wounds, ulcers, fractures, and other such problems. And finally and lastly, the veterinarian doctor. Now, not unlike the apprenticeship-trained barber surgeons and university-educated physicians of Europe, the Chinese also held surgeons in lesser esteem than learned doctors. In fact, there is a Chinese proverb that states, external complaints are easy to heal, internal ailments are difficult to cure. Surgery remained outside of scholarly pursuits, which may explain some of the fantastical legends about some operations in Chinese history. For example, dating back to the 4th century BCE, there's one about a surgeon named Pian Chu, which translates to a magpie in flight, and goes like this, quote, Master Fu from the state of Lu and Master Yin consulted Pian Chu. Pian told them, The illnesses that you suffer are caused by external influences affecting your internal organs. The illness will remain in your bodies. Do you agree to let me tackle the root of the problem? Now the two patients requested him to elaborate further. 
Pian explained, Master Fu is a clever person, but weak in energy. Hence, you have plenty of good ideas, but lack decisiveness. Whereas Master Yin is lacking in intelligence, but he is strong-willed. Hence, you lack thoughtfulness and tend to make rash decisions. If I exchange your hearts, everything will be perfect. A strong medicinal wine was prepared and administered to the two patients. They became unconscious for three days and three nights. He then opened their chests and exchanged their hearts. After stitching the wounds, the patients were revived by administering another magic potion. After returning home, their wives could not recognize them, for they had been transformed after surgery. End quote. Now, it's unlikely that the Chinese figured out organ transplantation roughly 1,400 years before anyone else, but it is interesting that they had even conceived of it, and the text certainly suggests some understanding of anesthesia, or at least pain control during surgery. A later account, dating from around the 1st century BCE, also tells a tale of Pian Chu. In it, he hears a tale of another famous physician of antiquity named Yu Fu, who, quote, incised the skin, dissected the muscles, let out blood, tied the tendons, trepanned the skull, operated on the marrow, and cut through the diaphragm to wash the stomach and intestines, end quote. Again, this implies at least some surgical knowledge. So let's get to Hua Tuo. We don't know a whole lot about his early life other than he was born around 111 CE in eastern China in the state of Pai. Hua is his family name, which means Chinese, and Tuo is his given name, which means a weight. He grew up in poverty, but explored a number of fields, including astronomy, geography, literature, history, and agriculture. Tuo became interested in medicine after witnessing the death of his father at the age of seven. According to some sources, Hua studied under various physicians in the neighboring county of Hsu. Now here's an introduction to his practice from an ancient Chinese source, quote, Hua was skillful in the art of preserving health and lived to the ripe old age of 100, but looked much younger. He was a master in prescriptions, using a few varieties of herbal medicine. He was not too meticulous in the exact weight and amount of each ingredient, but adjusted the dose according to individual cases. After preparing the ingredients, the concoction was taken by his patients, and recovery was rapid. In acupuncture, he applied needles to one or two points, instructing his patients to inform him when they feel the needles. The needles were withdrawn once this response was elicited, and suffering was immediately relieved. When treating deep-seated diseases, organs that could not be reached by drugs or acupuncture, Hua offered his patient a drink of a concoction of Ma Fei Sang, literally effervescent numbing powder. When the person became unconscious, it was said that he opened the abdomen, cleansed the bowels, cut away the diseased parts, stitched the wound, and applied a salve. The patient suffered no pain for four or five days being up and about. The wound healed within a month, end quote. So, a couple of things. While this is clearly a fanciful account, it does indicate that invasive surgery was at the very least being talked about. But more importantly, we have a record of anesthesia. And there are other examples in ancient sources about the use of this medicine. Legend held that Hua, while gathering herbs in the wilderness, saw a wounded deer stagger into a pasture. It grazed on certain herbs and seemed to be relieved of its discomfort. Hua then tasted several herbs, and a few made his mouth numb. This was how we found the key ingredients of Ma Fei Sang, the actual contents of which has been lost, although it's been speculated that the main component may be opium and or cannabis. 
Now, interestingly, if you recall from episode 68, the 18th century Japanese surgeon Hanaoka spent 20 years trying to recreate the recipe with some success, which he called Tsusensan. Some of Hua's other contributions to medicine include a number of herbal remedies, the mastery of acupuncture, moxibustion, which is the burning of dried mugwort, a type of flowering plant, on particular points of the body, the eradication of parasites, and even a fitness regime called the Frolics of the Five Animals. This was a series of yoga-like movements called the tiger, the deer, the bear, the monkey, and the egret, which was designed to relieve pain and increase inner strength and stamina. From a surgical standpoint, a few operations have been attributed to him, including splenectomy, colostomy, and other intra-abdominal operations. One source, as mentioned before, has him, quote, treat intestinal disorders by making an incision in the abdomen, washing the intestines, then sewing up the abdomen and rubbing on an ointment. The illness would be cured in four or five days, and the wound would cause the patient no pain. One month later, the patient would have fully recovered, end quote. Another described a patient with, quote, depilation of the beard and eyebrows, end quote, meaning a loss of hair. Hua gave him mafei sang, then opened and explored his abdomen, finding an unhealthy spleen. He then removed the deteriorated part of the spleen and plastered the abdomen, and the patient recovered. Hua also performed abortions and treated ulcers, sores, and provided analgesia. But let's focus on the most legendary operation performed by Hua. His patient was General Guan Yu, and was mythologized in the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, a 14th century CE historical novel, considered one of the four great classical novels of Chinese literature. Let me read to you the description of events from that document. Quote, Tao Yen saw that Guan Yu had no armor on. The archers and bowmen at once sent a great flight of arrows that way. Guan hastily pulled the reins to retire, but an arrow struck him in the arm. The shock of the blow made him turn the saddle, and he fell from his horse. Guan Ping escorted his father back to camp. There the arrow was extracted, but the head had been poisoned. The wound was deep, and the poison penetrated to the bone. The right arm was discolored and swollen and useless. Seeing that their leader would not retire, and the wound showed no signs of healing, the various captains inquired far and near for a good surgeon to attend their general. One day, a person arrived in a boat. The visitor wore a square-cut cap and a loose robe. In his hand, he carried a small black bag. He said his name was Huatuo. He had heard of the wound sustained by the famous hero and had come to heal it. So Hua was introduced, asked to take a seat, and after the tea ceremony was shown the wounded arm. This was caused by an arrow, said the doctor. There is some blackhead poison, referring to a flower that is extremely toxic and historically used to poison arrows, in the wound, and it is penetrated to the bone. Unless the wound is treated soon, the arm will become useless. What do you propose to do, asked Guan? I know I can cure the wound, but I think you'll be afraid of the remedy. Am I likely to be afraid of that when I'm not even afraid of death? Death is only a return home, after all. Then Hua said, This is what I shall do. In a private room I shall erect a post with a ring attached. I shall ask you, sir, to insert your arm through the ring, and I shall bind it firmly to the post. Then I shall cover your head with a quilt so that you cannot see, and with a scalpel I shall open up the flesh right down to the bone. Then I shall scrape away the poison. This done, I shall dress the wound with a certain preparation, sew it up with the thread, and there will be no further trouble. But I think you may quail at the severity of the treatment. 
Guan smiled. It all sounds easy enough, said he, but why the post and the ring? Refreshments were then served, and after a few cups of wine, the warrior extended his arm for the operation. With his other hand, he went on with his game of Wei Qi, which is Chinese chess. Meanwhile, the surgeon prepared his knife and called a lad to hold a basin beneath the limb. I am just going to cut. Do not start, said Hua. The surgeon then performed the operation as he had described. He found the bone much discolored. He scraped it clean. Went the knife over the surface, and all those covered their eyes and turned pale. But Guan went on with his game, only drinking a cup of wine now and then, and his face betrayed no sign of pain. When the wound had been cleansed, sewn up and dressed, the patient stood up smiling and said, This arm is now as good as it ever was. There is no pain. Indeed, Master Leech, you are a marvel. I've spent my life in the art, said Hua, but I've never seen such a patient as you, sir. You are the real marvel. Next comes a little poem here. It goes like this. Here as surgeons, their physicians, leeches boast their skill. Bitter few are those that cure one when one's really ill. As for superhuman valor, rivals Guan had none. So for holy touch in healing, Hua Tuo stood alone. When the cure was well advanced, Guan gave a fine banquet in honor of Hua and offered him a fee of a hundred taels of gold, but he declined it. He had come to treat his patient from admiration of his great virtue and not for money. Then Hua, having prepared dressings for the wound, took his leave, refusing fees to the very last, end quote. Now this event has been depicted in a number of paintings and sculptures and created a powerful image of Hua as a god of surgery. He is still revered in temples by Chinese admirers, and great physicians in China are praised as a reincarnated Hua Tuo. But his story does not have a happy ending. A king named Cao consulted him for recurrent migraine headaches, which Hua treated each time with acupuncture. But the king held him essentially as a prisoner, and Hua wanted to return home, and so told his master that his wife was severely ill and requested leave to go back to his native village. He then refused repeated summons to return to the court, and so the king sent agents to investigate. This led to Hua's arrest, and he was condemned to execution by beheading. Part of the legend goes that Hua offered the prison warden a copy of his medical writings, stating that this book can save lives. But the warden was afraid of the repercussions and dared not accept the book, and so Hua burned it. Another tale of knowledge lost. The king did come to regret his decision, though, because his son later contracted an illness that he realized could only have been treated by Hua. Following the death of Hua, surgery in China stagnated. There really aren't any well-known surgeons before or after Hua. There are a few tales told of operations, including a caesarean section done on the wife of a prince in the year 225 CE, although as part of the story it is said that the woman was pregnant for 12 months and the child was delivered through an incision under the right axilla and above the pubis, so it seems unlikely. Another story was that of a pair of cleft lip during the Qin dynasty, which existed between 265 and 420 CE. The patient was told to remain on a liquid diet for 100 days and refrain from laughing with good results. And there are other more fanciful legends, such as removing a handful of worms from a patient's skull or incising a forehead lump, releasing a yellow canary, and more. Part of the reason for the stagnation of surgery was due to religious reasons. 
According to Confucius, the human body was the sacred inheritance from one's ancestors, and it had to be returned to its ancestors intact. It was believed that a person existed after death, very much like they did in their physical body during life. This belief actually goes further, stating that if a spirit was missing any part of its body, that spirit would return to earth and revenge itself upon its relatives for failure to protect the body, and all kinds of bad luck would befall any surviving relatives. And if you enter the realm of the dead mutilated, you cannot be reunited with your ancestors. Kind of puts the chill on any operations, or even the anatomical dissection needed to gain the knowledge needed for surgery. The question then becomes, if there was no surgical tradition before or after Hua, then where did he learn it? There is one legend that addresses this, and one historical theory. Let's start with the legend. So during one of his many excursions into the mountains, Hua was drunk and slept it off in a cave. While in a semi-conscious state, he overheard two elderly people talking about people's greed and reluctance to help each other. One commented that, if Hua was there, he could be entrusted with the art of healing. This caused some alarm in Hua, and when he opened his eyes, there were two sages dressed in bark clothing with grass caps standing near him. He apologized for eavesdropping and begged them to share this knowledge. The first elder said, This art can be passed to you, but it may be of harm to you if not correctly applied. You must not discriminate between those in high or low social classes, the rich or poor, the aristocracy, or the common people. You must not practice for riches alone, nor be afraid of hardship. You must see that your first priority is the needs of the elderly and the poor. Hua replied, I will never forget the words of a sage and vow to follow your instructions. And so the second elder said, while pointing to a cave east of the mountain, On a stone bed you will find a book. After taking it, leave the cave immediately and keep the matter to yourself. Do not show it to the world. When Hua returned with the book, the sages had disappeared. He left the mountain. The skies opened and heavy rains caused a landslide, burying the caves. I'm not sure why the secrecy, but maybe it explains the lack of successors for Hua. A more likely explanation is that Hua came from India, where the works of Sushruta, captured in the text Sushruta Samhita, which dates back to the 7th century BCE, provided a long surgical tradition. Or at the very least, he was influenced by texts from the Samhita and others that may have been brought into China by Buddhist monks from India. Some operations practiced in ancient China, such as cataract surgery, which we covered in episode 52 on Dr. Nicholas Ridley, may be further evidence of Indian influence, as this operation has been attributed to Sushruta. Another operation that was frequently practiced was castration. As early as 1100 BCE, there is record of this operation as a punishment for serious crimes. It then became popular to castrate male servants for the imperial household, based on the observation that sexual activity and reproduction depended on the presence of gonads. These eunuchs would then serve the wives and concubines of the emperor and princes. The excised parts were preserved in a porcelain container and returned to the eunuch upon his retirement so that he could be buried intact, according to Confucian tradition mentioned earlier. The origin of the word eunuch actually reflects the role they played in ancient China and other societies. The Greek origin word is yun, which means marriage bed, and ekhine, meaning to have or to hold, so essentially bedchamber attendance. At least that's one of the theories. Anyways, this operation, if it can be called that, wasn't abolished until the establishment of the Republic of China in 1912. 
Now let's talk about fractures. Again, there's a legend about Huatua which states that while gardening, he noticed a hump on a cinnamon tree branch as if it were grafted together. He recalled that his father had done just that years prior, which inspired the thought that broken human limbs could be treated in the same manner. While wandering the garden lost in thought, Hua tripped over a mulberry bush. He noticed how a deformed branch seemed as if it had healed after snapping previously. This led to the idea that splints of wood or tree branches could serve as splints for broken bones, a practice that became common in China. Interestingly though, knowledge of the skeletal system was limited, and only rudimentary illustrations of it are found in ancient Chinese literature. This is likely due to the previously described beliefs about the human body and the afterlife, which drastically limited anatomical knowledge. A later physician, Chao Yong Fang, who lived from 581 to 618 CE, was the imperial physician during the reign of Emperor Yang. He published a book whose title translates to Discourse on the Causes and Symptoms of Diseases, dating to 610 CE. In it, there are some basic surgical techniques, including early suturing of fresh wounds, avoidance of dead spaces and hematoma formation in penetrating wounds of bone and tendon by weapons, and removal of foreign bodies and bone debris to avoid pus formation. And there are some interesting observations made. One was that if a patient had a depressed skull fracture and had dizziness, inability to lift up their head, paralysis of gaze and speech, and gurgling breath sounds, if they didn't recover within a day, the case would be fatal within three days. Clearly, there had been some experience with traumatic head wounds. Now, this textbook made its way to Korea and Japan, where it became a standard textbook on pathology, and as one source pointed out, this was about nine centuries earlier than the first European textbook on pathology, which, by the way, was called, and forgive my Latin here, De Abtidis Non Nullis Ac Moborum et Sanationum Causis, which translates to The Hidden Causes of Disease, published in 1507 by Antonio Benevieni. So what have we learned in this episode? In ancient China, surgeons were not held in high esteem, and medical practice seemed more focused on treating internal ailments with other modalities such as herbal concoctions, acupuncture, moxibustion, diet, and exercise. Much of what we know about surgical practice is shrouded in myth and lore, and the development of surgery was stymied by cultural and religious beliefs. But this is hardly the first example of this. Remember, the reason barber surgeons existed in the first place was due to the Catholic Church forbidding their cleric physicians from coming into contact with blood or bodily fluids, leaving operations to be done by barbers and other lay people. This kept surgery out of the universities, remaining as a skilled trade rather than an academic pursuit for centuries. And regardless, the character of Huatua remains a legendary figure in the history of surgery in China, and one who is still revered to this day. Now that wraps up this episode of Legends of Surgery. I hope you enjoyed it. Next time, we'll get to the previously promised episode on the history of the ostomy. In the meantime, please rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download episodes, and leave a comment there, or follow me on Twitter at Surgery Legends, like us on Facebook at Legends of Surgery, or send an email to legendsofsurgery at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, but your thoughts on the podcast or ideas for future episodes. And as always, thanks for listening.